Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm like Adam Pranica. (laughs) What does that mean? I just responded to a tweet that was like, hey, uh, guys, maybe you should stop using the word like so much. Well, that person can, like, lick my, like, anus hole. (laughs) I sent him... uh, I sent him a picture of a guy doing that. You've seen that picture before of like the guy reaching into the robot butt proctology exam simulator. And I was like, sorry, I file all vocal critiques in a special greatest gen branded cabinet. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) That's a robot butt. We got a funny letter from a listener, Adam, that I thought I might read for our Marin Open today. Oh, that'll make me feel better. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. This was couched amidst a bunch of other stuff that I'll leave out because it's just business business. But, uh... Oh, yeah? Listener Justin sent in the following story. I have been with you and Adam from the start of The Greatest Generation, back when it seemed like a low-budget pod that my friends and I could do if we were not so lazy. The show is amazing now, and it has been great seeing it grow. Anyways, one day, I was playing it at work when a co-worker asked me what the hell I had on. I told her about the show, and then magic happened. A little backstory, I have worked with this person in different jobs over the last seven years, and have come to know her very well. So, after I told her about your show, and she said she had a story, I knew it would be good. Do you remember Will, the guy I dated, that we worked with? He once told me that he was in Star Trek. He said he was really young, and all he did was hold a chicken. (laughs) That's right, she fucked the chicken boy from Up the Long Ladder. Made my day, and I hope it makes yours. (laughs) You know how bad... (laughs) You know, like, occasionally people ask us, why do you say you're so uh, embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast? The answer to that question, Ben, is that <laughs> is that this guy would rather be known as Chicken Boy than a uh, person who was on Star Trek. <laughs> I hope this doesn't end Justin's friendship with his co-worker. I hope she doesn't... I hope she hasn't become a listener, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> If she hears this and then feels like super insulted. <laughs> I think when we can be fairly certain of that, Ben. Well, this show has ended many friendships, Adam. It may even end our own. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely put it through as big a stress test as you could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Who is, who is the extra... That would be the most exciting person to discover somebody had had a intimate interlude with. I don't know. Like I, uh, I like the idea of khaki pants guy being a great stick man. <laughs> like, like just a legendary stick man. That would be hilarious to me. Yeah. That's why he's wearing those baggy pants, Ben. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of meat to conceal. What about you? I don't know. I mean, there's some um, 
one of the ladies from uh, from this episode that we're reviewing today would be would be a fun one. The oh, yeah? lady with the kind of like uh, prog rock haircut and side of head loaf. There is uh, there's some amazing hair in this episode. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe we should uh, maybe we should stop imagining having sex with people other than our wives. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get into the episode, Adam. What do you say? I'm into that, Ben. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Season 7, Episode 4, Gambit, Part 1. Well, Adam, we have another episode here that starts in a Star Wars cantina. And uh, another episode where one of the female characters is in a Star Wars cantina using sex to get something. <laughs> That's right, Ben. Uh, we're inside a bar on Desica 2, which is obviously the planet that makes those packets you see inside of beef jerky. I was in a, <laughs> I was in a movie with a friend one time, and we had bought like a pack of trail mix or something at the concession stand on the way in. Uh-huh. And uh, in the darkened theater, he assumed that he had discovered some flavor packet and oh, no. ripped it ripped open the desiccant and dumped it onto his palm and then licked it. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was really no. uncomfortable. I uh, I mean, I can only assume the dry mouth that followed. Yeah. Have you ever uh, dumped table salt on a slug? Yeah, that's... That's what he looked like when the lights came up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Your friend's dead? Yeah, he died. <laughs> RSVP, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> when our favorite bridge crew people go undercover, uh, they don't really bother to change clothing too much. Like, these are things that they, I think, have found in their own closets. Yeah, they're they're just civilian garb. They're not blending in with the local hoi polloi in this bar at all they look too clean to be in this bar you know that's what i'm saying like you gotta read the room right you don't go into a dive bar wearing a suit you know they look like a bunch of peewees in a biker bar yeah they do i'm trying to use the phone (laughs) it would be it'd be really fun if there was a shot of wharf like leaning against somebody's shuttle parked outside and it knocks over the shuttle and then like like a domino effect all of the all of the shuttles knock over (laughs) i would love to just see a shuttlecraft parking lot that'd be great that would be a nice little a nice little matte painting i never get it's probably the sort of establishment that doesn't have a valet though no, yeah. This is a gravel parking lot kind of place. <laughs> yeah, totally. They find this loafy hoggett looking guy. Yeah, he's the second Euridian we've seen, right? Yeah. They're 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 looking into what happened to a bald man and uh <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty clear from from the way they're talking that they're looking for the captain. And this guy basically, he kind of has the same gambit that Lovey Hoggett had with Worf, which is I have information, but I want to be compensated for it. I feel like uh, Euridians might be diet Ferengi a little bit, right? <laughs> but they're not—they're not as comical. Yeah, they—they have the same shuffling gait 
but they're not uh, and they have big ears. Yeah. Yeah, these this this Uridian looks a lot like the the Uridian that told Worf that they were living Kittimer Klingons on that one planet. Lofi Hagen. Yeah, but this Uridian has like honey glazed loaf. He's got like <laughs> brown face while Lofi Hoggett was was pink. He has a swarthier loaf. And he has he has a lot more hair if memory serves. Yeah, the hair is really not doing him any favors in the looks department, I think. You know, you get to a certain point with a hairline, you might as well just shave it off. Yeah, he's got he's got kind of like a Larry David type of situation <laughs> where it's just a a real mass of curls on the back of his head. Yeah. He uh he left his laptop on a on a table across the restaurant. He asked someone to look at it for him while he went to the bathroom. <laughs> Um, it's a real problem. Yeah. The uh, the proprietor of the bar is not excited that this guy is going to tell them what he knows, right? Yeah, it's a real don't snitch type of environment. Like, Troy, Troy started using her sex appeal on the bartender, and that didn't really work. There's a... Like, everyone sort of split up and, and used their their guile to get information. Riker has left... A conversation like back slapping and high fiving, like he's obviously getting along fine. <laughs> Riker was sort of made for this kind of mission, right? Yeah, I mean, Riker can charm the pants off of just about anybody, and that includes, you know, quasi criminal element type type people like the folks in this bar. Right. The bartender, as they're plying the Iridian for information, kind of comes up and goes, you know, gives him the snitches get stitches line. And the Iridian's like, do you think a scar would show up on my face as anything other than just one of my wrinkles? I don't care about you. I'm telling them. I'm a man of 200 face folds. Like, do you really think that's going to read? I bet he got through puberty just fine. I don't think acne's the top of his concerns. Either that or it, it is the only concern he had. <laughs> yeah. It's fairly clear that this guy is willing to exchange bald guy information for money. And I feel like this is a little bit of Deep Space Nine leakage, right? We're getting more and more conversation about, uh, about currency in this universe, more than we've ever gotten before, especially around the Uridians. Gold press latinum has become a thing that everybody wants. Right. What's the deal with it? The idea is that it can't be replicated, and that's why it's valuable? I would have to watch Deep Space Nine to really have that trivia. Like, I, I don't know. Because their communicator badges are made out of gold, right? Gold is like a cheap commodity in the future. Yeah, yeah. The Uridian tells them that he watched the bald human they're looking for get knocked down in the corner and and shot on a, on the gore setting. And the doctor goes over and she's finding all of these kind of corroborating details about, about that. I'm picking up Starfleet fiber traces and human cellular debris. I guess they decide to leave with the Uridian, right? They, they, take, it, they take him with them because they want to... Yeah, the Uridians copying this whole attitude of like, well, you know, the bartender just threatened me about the whole snitching thing. And, you know, if you want more information out of me, maybe you could 
take me to your ship, put me up in a condo, and then drop me off a couple blocks over. That way I'll be safe from these assholes. The crew is really easy to is really easy to manipulate in this way because they are convinced that their captain is dead. Yeah, and that's our cold open. Pretty good cold open. I don't know if the Uridians can be trusted, Ben. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> they seem to have kind of a, a track record at this point of providing information that is adventure starting, but not necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know what? Uh, any sort of exposition by Worf here would probably be welcome. <laughs> like a quick a quick turn to Riker and going like, I don't believe these Iridians are, can be trusted. You remember that experience I had exactly three episodes ago? Didn't work out great. <laughs> Guy left me in the lurch. He was my getaway driver. You know how we're calling back to previous episodes sometimes now? Well, listen to this. <laughs> When we come back from our title sequence, there's a pretty emotional scene between Riker and Troy. How are you doing? I'm all right. She's kind of trying to talk him into setting up a memorial service for the captain. The crew's pretty shaken up. And he's really dealing with his emotions by pushing them to the side while he hunts down the people that vaporized the captain. The mission, as it is stated at this point, is all about, you know, bringing these fugitives to justice. There's something very exciting about a vengeance-motivated Riker. What does it mean? It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. He goes so far as to ask an admiral to not report to class that day and to go do independent study, basically. <laughs> Admiral's like, yeah, go for it. Like, I'm going to cut you loose from your mission. You go do you. His line is, your mission is at your discretion. Yeah. I love that. That's the best kind of mission, I think. Yeah. Ben, how soon after you're reported missing would you prefer to have a funeral? Well, he's not just reported missing. I mean, they have an eyeball wit that's saying he got gored. That's just it, man. Like, can you hang a funeral arrangement on the word of a Uridian? I don't think so. <laughs> I think you need a corroborating witness, and I don't think they have one. Well, don't you think that the behavior of the bartender makes them believe that what this guy is saying is true? This shit wouldn't fly on Law & Order, I don't think. <laughs> I think that the narrative rules of Law & Order are substantially different from the narrative rules of Star Trek. Just going out on a limb here. Troy and Riker do big work at the beginning of this episode, just sort of teaching the viewer how to feel about the situation. I know you're angry. You're damn right! Because if neither of them peg the needle in their respective ways emotionally... Do you think you have the monopoly on loss? I don't feel like you could believe for a second that Picard's actually dead. Like, you need them to go all the way in in how they manage their grief to go along with the presupposition that he's dead. We're all hurting, and we're all angry. And whether you like it or not, you have a responsibility to this crew. Like any sort of half measure there, I don't think does the job. Yeah, it's a a substantial ask of the viewer to sit through a title sequence where Patrick Stewart's name is the first one that pops up on screen (laughs) and then come back and have two characters talking about how Patrick Stewart is dead. 
Yeah. I am the kind of viewer that is willing to extend that suspension of disbelief. But let's be honest, like this is as 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 suspended as disbelief can possibly get. Full disbelief suspension. It's a suspension bridge of disbelief, Ben. <laughs> you know the engineering it takes to build one of those? Yeah, it's like uh you suspend your disbelief from one end, you get to the you get to the other end, you go back and you start over. You're constantly resuspending. <laughs> like painting the golden gate. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I agree, like they really take it to eleven. She's you know, he's saying like I don't want to do a memorial service until I've sorted out the justice thing and she's like Captain Picard was Jewish. You have to hold a (laughs) memorial immediately, and then you sit Shiva for seven days. And and he's like, well, that's not how we do it in my family. (laughs) Worf's like, Jewish, you say? I'm not hearing a no. I'll take over from here. My love is a The whole crew is a little out of sorts here. Like, that scene sets sets a tone. And, you know, we get, like, Data trying to kind of figure out how to be first officer. And he's not, not having an easy time. As acting first officer, I must question your decision to accompany the away team. If Captain Picard were here, he's not. In a way, like, this is where Data should always have been. He's a great first officer. He was a great first officer to Jellico, And I feel like he's much less sure of himself being a first officer to Riker because I think Riker doesn't care about the the rule book quite as much as Jellico did yeah you know the first conflict they have is Riker announcing that he's going to lead an away mission and Data kind of trying to feel out like how he's supposed to level a an objection to that not really sure what footing he's on with Riker it was a great move by him to find out though in private I thought it was really interesting to see him have a tough time with that because it's in a, in a lot of ways a very similar job to second officer you know I'm sure a lot of department heads report to him as head of ops I don't but, know how deeply this show thinks about stuff like this but this scene mirrors a scene in part two where Worf is a terrible second officer or Worf is a terrible first officer and does it exactly wrong in exactly the wrong way in exactly the opposite way that Data does here. Now, Which, how would you know that, Adam? Well, all I'm <laughs> saying, I think, I think, I think it is okay to consider part one and part two part of the same thing when you're talking about a review and critique podcast show. Hmm. Well, that's that presupposes that we don't have vetoes that may get brought to bear, Adam. You may have. It sounds like you you went ahead and watched an episode with little regard to whether I would veto it or not. Whoa. (laughs) I stopped caring about your feelings long ago, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) You're tearing me apart, Adam. (laughs) Oh, boy. Adam and Ben are fighting again. The other thing that happens early in this episode is the... uh, the Eridian is like hanging around in the condo that they give him and Riker stops by and the Eridian's like 
He's got like everything he can possibly fit on a table replicated <laughs> up to eat. Like he's really got a spread for himself and he's like, "Hey, listen, this uh this place isn't decorated that good." I was wondering if you could move me to better quarters. And Riker really puts the screws to him. He's he's like, "How about instead of nicer place, I don't turn you over to the Klingons?" Yeah. How does Klingon prison camp sound as an upgrade to you? Punishment. <laughs> means exile from prison to the surface. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, I get so cold mining for dilithium on Rura Pente. I'd really rather prefer a place with stockades. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to stay around species where I know where they keep their genitals, please. <laughs> <laughs> he spills some more dirt about like where they might find the baddies so they jet over to this planet that's kind of like the <laughs> you know it actually kind of reminded me of the part of california that max Funcon takes place in yeah know? up in lake arrowhead up at a uh, planet rim forest <laughs> yeah <laughs> that rim forest is out of control up there <laughs> yeah they really need to uh con- consider a little bit of manscaping with their rim forest I don't know, man. You start you start clear cutting your rim forest. That solves one problem and starts another. <laughs> <laughs> they find a lot of scorch marks on the earth where, you know, they're like, "What the hell? What the hell are these marks? They don't really look like phaser blasts, but something's up." And somebody finds a bunch of pottery on the ground and immediately gets phasered and. <laughs> What proceeds is the missingest firefight of all time. Like, more shots are fired that don't connect than any other time in this show's history, I feel like. This is a foam stone holocaust. <laughs> this is this is crazy. It's a 70-shot phaser fight, is what I read, Ben. And this is the most phaserific fight uh, in Star Trek history. And yet, only one guy takes one, and he's the guy that buys it for looking at some pots at right at the beginning. Like, everybody else gets gets to cover pretty quickly, and then it's just phaser, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. This is such bad sniping by the guy who took that shot. Like, you, you basically have a guaranteed kill here by taking the first shot from cover, and you get the front zip? Yeah. <laughs> Come let on, me, man. Let me get that that extra that doesn't have any lines. <laughs> I see a guy in a front zip with a bad haircut. Make an example of him. <laughs> yeah. It's like a like a marine in a, an island campaign shooting at everybody but the guy with the sword. Is it just me or are the background actors and extra actors even more obvious this season than any other? They really stick out. I feel like they have, like, one weird wig for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. They are not fading into the periphery like they usually do. Well, the people that they are in this firefight against are a Romulan, a lady that looks like a... I don't know. She kind of looks like she could be a bad guy in the Double Dragon video game. (laughs) And then... A guy that looks like he probably invented the hacky sack. 
<laughs> yeah, he looks like uh, the mind blown meme guy. <laughs> yeah. with, with like his two hands by his head you know that mm-hmm. guy yeah he um he could only be yeah he's from planet santa cruz yeah <laughs> so it's kind of a motley crew um but they uh they managed to blow up a styrofoam rock that Riker is standing near which knocks him out they run over and flip Riker over and they're like well let's get out of here and let's take this guy with us and the rest of the away team watches in shock as their commander slash acting captain disappears with these bad aliens. Cut to Worf, who has been firing indiscriminately for the last minute. <laughs> and not hitting anything. Suddenly, like, hold his fire just to watch this scene. Like, everyone stands still for a good five seconds, and he doesn't take a shot. Come There's on, Worf. There's a lot Worf. of jaw-on-floor shit happening here that is not... Yeah, like, this is bad directing, right? Get in the game, Worf. <laughs> I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. We're just going down the chain of command here. As one by one, Enterprise senior staff are being taken or killed. <laughs> Not a good look. Yeah, Data is now the captain of the ship. <laughs> I wish we got a scene of, of field promotions every time, like <laughs> like as a recurring late motif. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. Like with, with different decorations in the ready room every time, too. Yeah, like like Data comes in and like clears out all of Riker's shit. Put Spot cat box. I hate cats. Data's cat. Spot. I love cats. Up on the desk. <laughs> What's the deal? They can't track the ship because the ship is the bad guy's ship is like has like that matte black paint, so it disappears when the lights are off. Yeah, it's it's like the sci-fi equivalent of a stealth bomber ship, you know? Like the uh, the Enterprise radar can't really pick it up. It's not cloaked, but it's real hard for their sensors to get a lock on it when it's out of visual range. Right. Which seems like every ship should have that, right? Yeah, it seems great. That seems good. I think that's what you want in a mercenary ship. Or just the flagship of the Federation. Like, why give them any opportunity to shoot you? The stealth plating does goes a long way towards forgiving the idea that the ship looks like a tick. You now face the tick and his fearless sidekick, Arthur. <laughs> You're saying the Patrick Warburton tick, or are you the actual insect, Adam? Yeah. <laughs> Good Patrick Warburton, Adam. <laughs> that's that's all you have to say to do a great P-war. <laughs> oh, man. No one does a better Patrick Warburton than Jordan Morris, for my no. money. Yeah. That guy's the best. I mean, Jesse Thorne is no slouch, but uh, yeah. That's one of my favorite recurring bits on that show. Yeah. They have a McLaughlin group. Is your and one. they talk about how this ship is going to be hard to track, and they're going to have to come up with some other creative ideas for how to get the commander back. Like, they're not positive that Commander Riker is alive, but they want to do something about it. And I feel like this scene is where it is revealed that the job Data really wants is not first officer, but captain. Yeah. He's loving us. 
he does that like tenting his fingers pensively move <laughs> like like the leadership tent is what that is that move with mm-hmm. your hands like yeah. that's that's unquestionably a power move he's like jacked his seat up a little bit higher than everyone else yeah. he's running the whole playbook he's running around with his chest puffed out yeah. Worf is like come on man we gotta go chase those guys and he says on the contrary what we're gonna do is investigate the surface of the planet and see what these guys were up to down here. And that'll give us insights into where they might be going. He is so decisive here, it is refreshing. He's not polling the crew. He's got an idea in mind, and that's what they're going to do. It's great. Yeah, he's no joke. He is ruling with an iron slash polycarbonate fist. (laughs) He's ruling with a detachable fist. We cut to Riker on this mercenary ship, and he gets to meet the crew there. Some of them are made up from the people we saw on the surface, and then he meets this leader. This guy who is sort of cosplaying as Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. I want warp aid available in five hours, and I don't want to hear your excuses. What was will be, what is will be no more. I kind of thought it was like if Khan Noonien Soong cosplayed as, as Vigo. Yeah. It's got some real hair metal vibes. I love how how weird this alien crew is. Like everybody's a different weirdo. The con know? vibes are are totally legit because everyone's got a torture device attached to their neck that that ensures their allegiance to him. It's a lot easier than implanting earbugs, right? Yeah. I was wondering if he got this thing from the Cardassians. It's a lot like that thing that uh English Cardassian guy had, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's familiar. What was that guy's name? Morlek? Gull? Gull Madrid? Maset? Madrid? <laughs> yeah. That sounds right. You can just leave the one in that we got right. Or the gull soup that we made <laughs> and trying to remember it. <laughs> they do the around the horn where Riker gets to meet everyone, and then guess who wheels around in his office chair? <laughs> J.L. Pipes as Galen, who is a brown leather daddy. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, kind of like the Ren Fair version of a leather daddy. Yeah. Speaking of J.L. Pipes, Adam, did you see that a couple of our viewers got a dog and named her J.L. Pipes? I did see that. Isn't that the greatest? It's funny sometimes how dogs look like their names. <laughs> and this dog really does like I don't know if it's the eye width and spacing or what, but like I can totally see the resemblance. She's got a real jail pipes vibe to her. Yeah. Real cute dog. Really doesn't get close to women like as a dog. <laughs> sort of prefers solitude. Let <laughs> really likes digging for mm-hmm. antiquities and bones. Yeah. I think it's a great name. Can quote Shakespeare at length. <laughs> Hates mother-in-laws. Awesome at flute. Mm, yeah. The deal here is that these guys are like mercenaries slash kind of, I don't know, like Indi- Indiana Jones types. Like they, they're like relic thieves. I totally dig the idea of space pirates, Ben. Yeah. I wish there was more of them in, in this series. Well, the reason that there aren't is because it's a Roddenberry edict. 
he said very specifically, like, that was one of the rules. No space piracy depicted. Isn't that fucked up? That is strange. I mean, I think that in Deep Space Nine, especially, they really go hard in the other direction. Because there's, like, organized crime and shit in that series. Ben, I've got an anecdote for you. Lay it on me, brother. Gambit grew out of a spec script, but it broke one of Gene Roddenberry's long-standing Star Trek taboos, specifically that there would be no such thing as space pirates on Star Trek. So Rick Berman, aware of the taboo, was willing to consider the script, but he tied a red bandana around the bust of Gene Roddenberry that he kept on his desk. (laughs) which is the most fucked up part of that story the whole idea of there being a ban on space piracy stories or the fact that rick berman kept a bust of gene roddenberry on his desk i would have figured gene roddenberry for a crip (laughs) i don't know man like here's the thing though like lionizing lionizing the creator of the show is fine but, like, you do too much of that and you get the Star Wars prequels. Do you think when Gene Roddenberry was pitching the story, he was like, yeah, we'll call him Baptin Picard. Because <laughs> you know how bloods always replace C's at the beginning of, of words with B's? I did not know that, Ben. Oh, yeah. You sure um, do know a lot about gangs. Yeah. I don't know. They're so willing to throw out the Roddenberry rules like other Roddenberry rules here, why be so precious about the piracy thing, especially if it opens up so many more stories? I mean, this is a... It's it's interesting because it's definitely a very fun and interesting storyline, but feels a little like, oh, we don't quite know what to do with this. Yeah, they. it feels like they don't really want to commit to the world building it would take to convince us that there are lots of pirates out there. And that this is a culture. Or even that there's some pirates out there. Yeah. I mean, what about the what about the guy that has data as a as a trophy? Yeah. What's is is that guy not a pirate? What about that whole planet full of wrestlers that they found that were nothing but pirates? That was like a season two episode. Yeah. I feel like this rule is a little bit weird. A little bit inconsistently enforced. I think maybe the bust belongs in the lobby instead of on your <laughs> desk. <laughs> well, maybe it's like the trigger to like to the like secret sex dungeon <laughs> that's on the other side of the bookcase or whatever. Yeah, you just tilt his head back. Yeah. And then forward. <laughs> and then back. <laughs> and then forward. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> So, real big surprise in this reveal. Riker is relieved to see him, but not uh, not emoting that. He needs to figure out what Picard's deal is and whose side he's on. Yeah, because Picard is talking, kill this dude. I say kill him. They're talking to Riker and like trying to get some some info out of him. And Picard is like, this guy used to be on the hood. He's bad news. <laughs> Ask DeSoto. He'll tell you. What Riker might that be? Commander of the Enterprise, formerly assigned to the USS Hood. That shouldn't intimidate anybody, but maybe these guys don't know what the Hood's reputation is. Cut to the ready room in the in the Hood, and DeSoto's like got his feet up on his desk, like a, 
whatever the uh, the ship equivalent of the phone is, it's just ringing and ringing and ringing. <laughs> He's got no time for that. He's like filing his nails. <laughs> <laughs> we got to put the spurs in this episode, Ben. I know. We're, we're fucking around too much. I just want to talk about DeSoto's collection of emery boards, though, so much. <laughs> Did you recognize the Vulcan person on this crew? Should I have? Yeah, uh, that was Savick from the third and fourth Star Trek movies. Oh, no shit. Yeah, the uh, the woman who replaced Kirstie Alley. Yeah, that's interesting. She's flexing like she's Romulan, right? Yeah, and she she's is... She's repping Romulan? She is, and she also, like, if there's such a thing as co-leaders on this ship, I mean, it's Baran and it's Talara, really. Yeah. And she might actually hold more power than even Baran does. Yeah, she doesn't have the neck pain zap gizmo, but she's got a lot of woofy on the ship, and she seems to be playing her own game. She's not necessarily a an underling as such. She at least has the ability to, like, she has her own agency, right? She can go talk to Picard if she wants to. She can go talk to Riker if she wants to. Like, she can sort of slink around yeah. to her own ends. The way Riker gets out of getting fragged by Baran is they realize that they're having some engine trouble, and Riker's like, well, I know how to solve this exact kind of engine trouble. And there's some kind of, like, wink-wink happening between him and Picard. I've had a lot of experience with this sort of systems failure. I might be able to do something. He gets on the on the ship's computer and fairly swiftly sorts everything out. And they're like, wow, you're actually pretty useful. So we'll keep you around for now. So at this point, like, I think we cut to Picard as Galen doing his duty on this ship, right? He's taken pieces of pottery out of boxes he's sticking them on a computer table the computer table's telling him whether or not it's a positive or negative for what they're looking for at this point we aren't exactly sure what it is they're looking for but we can tell based on the number of storage racks in the cargo bay and the amount of work that Picard has to do in in scanning them that they've been at this for a while and they haven't found what they're looking for yet it seems like fairly automated work, though, right? He just puts the thing in and the computer tells him thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah, the ship has the stealth plating, but it doesn't have the robot inside that does this work. Yeah, the Romulan lady comes down and, and he's like, I'm super useful. You know, like, I'm I'm still, like, you can't kill me in the heist hit list yet. I'm still, I'm still doing something that you guys need me to do. And she kind of tips part of her hand a little bit in this scene where she says you know maybe not but and maybe like i have some of my own agendas here and maybe i think baran is is shitty but i don't necessarily think you're like leadership material yourself it seems pretty clear that the only thing holding this crew together is the torture devices on everyone's necks and the promise of becoming paid at the end of this mission like everyone's being kept in the dark about what they're doing have you ever had a job where you felt like the client had a torture device that <laughs> you were going to be subjected to yeah. until until the job was done? Yeah, the torture device is always the deadline. Yeah. There's something about this that felt kind of familiar. Yeah. Well, anyways, the kind of climactic scene in the episode is the the bad guys 
plus Riker and Picard run into the entrepreneur in orbit over a colony and uh, it's a Federation colony that, and so like the, I guess like they've, they've gotten Riker to kind of like get on the FaceTime with the Lieutenant that's running the colony and try and convince him to let them, you know, steal everything in peace, like (laughs) drop your shield so that we can beam up your artifacts. Lieutenant's not budging and it's, it's pretty clear that he's buying time. If you'd like, you can remain in orbit until we contact the Science Council. But we're experiencing some communication difficulties right now, so that this isn't working. And so they wind up with the entrepreneur like like running up on them, and they get into a firefight with them. One of those firefights, though, where like people on each ship are dialing down the strength of their weapons. It's like sparring and boxing. Yeah, like Data picks up on this pretty quickly that Riker's sending him some kind of subterfuge, which is kind of the first time Data has ever picked up on subterfuge, I feel like. But he realizes what they need to do. And and meanwhile, like, I guess Picard is probably like dialing down the strength of the mercenary ship's weapons this is all for Buran's benefit like they are making it look like they're in a real firefight so that Buran uh you know doesn't destroy the the colony but uh the end of the uh of the episode is literally like a freeze frame on lasers hitting the uh starboard nacelle of of the entrepreneur yeah it's not looking laser freeze frame (laughs) yeah that's a real sensitive part of the ship, Ben. Those are the testicles of the ship, aren't they? <laughs> so sensitive. Taking one in the stones. If you're cutting a comedy trailer about this episode, you're going to want to include that, that shot. <laughs> so that's people's and the, expectations. And the commensurate sound effect. Mm-hmm. So oh. with that, we are left with yet another mid-season cliffhanger. feel like they're kind of in a rut with these cliffhangers like this feels like it steals a lot of the tropes from best of both worlds where there is a untested acting captain on the bridge of the entrepreneur you know it's just it's just shifting down down the ranks one and doing the exact same thing as as best of both worlds right yeah but for whatever reason the stakes don't feel as high as they were in previous cliffhangers like we know that there are agents on both ships sort of in a back channel way fighting to ensure each other's survival because of the value that they place on what's going on on the other ship right so at at no point do you see even during the freeze frame that this is a this is an event that could kill everyone it does not look like this phaser to the to the nacelle is doing any actual damage right it's a weird no stakes to be continued (laughs) yeah that's what i was getting at pretty weird but i mean way too much story for one episode like has to be two glad it's two glad it's two did you like this episode ben i did i mean i i think that uh it is not perfect or even great uh but it's 
it's fun to watch and it moves, you know, like a lot of stuff happens, a lot of Star Trekky stuff. I think uh, maybe where like the two places that I think it really fails are the combat scenes and the kind of establishing a suspenseful set of stakes. Yeah. It kind of nukes the fridge, like the captain being dead and we're going to go ride for him is a much higher set of stakes than everybody's play fighting slap boxing at the end. That is a great point because the promise this this episode makes you in the beginning is that you're going to get a vengeful Riker, you know, burning down the universe trying to get to who took Picard. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And you're almost immediately deprived of that when Data takes command of the ship, you know? Yeah, and Data is never going to burn anything down for anything. Like, he's he's a good captain, but he's too measured to give any kind of excitement. I wonder if there was ever a version of this episode where it wasn't Riker and it was someone else who was taken prisoner and Riker got that chance to burn the world down you know, chasing them down across the galaxy. That would have been fun. That is a that is a variation of the cannonball run theme that could be super fun, but I have a feeling you'd have to blindfold the bust of Gene Roddenberry to get that one <laughs> approved. Yeah, you might have to hide the bust of Gene Roddenberry in your butt <laughs> so that it doesn't it can't see or hear. Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. Not sure I can give this episode a full like because of so much promise unfulfilled like you know it's one thing to say like 70 shot phaser fight in the first 10 minutes and to think that that in and of itself means fun and success but when the fight itself is just like is 70 shots that go nowhere (laughs) like that's not satisfying it's not you're right also really needed a grenade there where's the phaser grenade yeah, where's the, where's the rocket launcher? Hey, the weather girl is going to be on. But first, pass me the rocket launcher. Yeah, need one of those. <laughs> we also need some priority one messages, Ben. Do we have any? Yeah, we sure do. Let's go check them out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we have a personal Priority One message here. It is from Matt Grasso. It is for Natalie Grasso. It goes like this. Natalie, you just turned four, so obviously your mom and I are not letting you listen to Greatest Gen yet. But Oh, thank God. <laughs> but if I do my job right, you should be hearing this in about 14 years, having fallen in love with TNG and then this show. <laughs> If you do hear this, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you and I love you. If not, I guess I blew it. Love your dad. (laughs) I love the idea of hiding a message that will only be meaningful if the person finds it. Message in a podcast bottle. Yeah. Pretty fun, Matt. Good job. Raise her right, Matt. Sounds like he's he's on the right track. Yeah, I think so. You got your Mr. Rogers when it's age appropriate. You got your uh, streets of sesame when it's Mm -hmm. age appropriate. And then many, many years after that, you've got your greatest gen. We'll get you through puberty, Natalie. (laughs) Uh, Adam, we have another one here, and it is from hashtag rascals. 
Sam, Raz, L, Kimberly, Josh, AJ, Michael, Amy, Brittany, the Gooch, Jason, <laughs> and other. I love just hearing the Gooch. And it's for Plavim. <laughs> now, when you're telling Plavim to go fuck himself, <laughs> you want to be sure to attach your safety harness to a secure location. The pure force of your hatred is liable to cause you to lose your footing a bit. I recommend Milladuraflex Python Harness. Which is both flexible and fully OSHA compliant. <laughs> Join the team that hates Plavi. Rascals. Hashtag rascals. Rascals are a thing. Man. I love that just starting a sentence with the word now forces <laughs> us to start talking in Boston accent. It's true. We are such victims of the success of that, <laughs> that bit. <laughs> If supporters of Raz are named Rascals, what are the supporters of Plavim called? Oh, man, I don't know. Plavimophiles? <laughs> See, that's just making fun of Plavim again. I can't help but be a rascal. Wow. I kind of I fall in Team Plavim just because Plavim has spent so much more money supporting our show. Yeah. I also uh, have a soft spot for the Gooch. Yeah. That's a fun one. <laughs> well, if you have a soft spot for the greatest gen, uh, one of the greatest ways to support the show is by filling out a Priority One message form by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Personal Priority One messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are a great way to support the ongoing production of our show. Thanks, guys. Darmok, Angelad, and you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. 
To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a brown leather clad drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did not. I found a different one. Yeah? You know, Adam, we give out the drunk Shimoda award to cite the character that is having the most fun or doing the silliest thing. That's the rule. But I am going to give a special charity Shimoda in this episode to the character that's sort of furthest from that ideal. (laughs) Just because I felt so bad for her. When Data first takes over as, as captain, there's a new ensign at the op station, Ensign Juicy, and... Boy, does this does this character get a thankless task of <laughs> just kind of like describing the alien ship getting away? Like there are no there are no model shots or any special effects to make this fun to fun to experience. Like she just has to sit there and like pretend to tap away at the <laughs> at the control panel and describe how the bad guys are are getting out of there. And uh, I thought for as dumb a bit of script as this was she did a perfectly good job delivering it but uh boy what a thankless task ben i would have expected someone with your cosby expertise would have recognized her i mean yeah but i I... (laughs) as uh as the actress who played sandra huxtable yeah i'm not trying to shoehorn every possible cosby reference into the (laughs) into the show adam I think that's good, because I don't think she should be typecast as a Cosby actor. No. That is a I, that is a she, stink you don't want at this point. She played this part well, I think. I think I she's... Want, I want to know more about this character. I, hope, I, I, wish, uh, I wish we had any indication that she was going to be a recurring character. Ben, I think she's emblematic of what's happened in season seven, which is any peripheral actor either getting 
really bad dialogue to read or maybe only being given one or two takes to deliver it because I don't feel like anyone outside of uh, the crew senior staff is believable in delivery at all this season. Like, it's not working for me. Am I just too sensitive to to uh, any non-senior staff actors right now? I don't know what it is, but I feel like they're really slipping. I feel like you've got a, a Roddenberry bust up your butt about this particular performance, <laughs> Adam, because I, right. I, 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 liked, uh, I liked Sabrina LaBeouf's performance here. All right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying the the script, the chunk of script that got dropped in her lap was a turd. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's forgivable. When there's a how turd about in yourself? Your lap, Did you have a Shimoda, Adam? <laughs> I do, Ben. It's it's a scene slash Jordy Shimoda. <laughs> there's a scene early on. I think it's like almost as soon as the away team beams down to. The planet, the planet, the, the rim first planet, forest. and yeah, the rim forest planet. They're doing their archaeological investigation, looking at scorch marks and stuff. Uh, Riker's talking to Jordy, and he walks up and he puts his leg up on a rock, and then Jordy <laughs> does the same thing, talking back to him. <laughs> and that just struck me because the scene was outside, like. Uh, that's exactly how Rikers in the wild greet each other. Like, you put your leg up on that rock. And it also struck me as, like, when you don't direct an actor, a lot of times what they'll do is mirror the thing that they're seeing in someone else's performance. And I was wondering, like, if in that exact scene, like, LeVar Burton just sort of like, oh, what am I going to do with my legs? <laughs> Frakes is putting his leg up. I'm going to do, I'm going to do that too. So... That just seemed funny to me to see two actors talking to each other, mirroring the Riker leg move. I mean, if I'm in a headcanon, what what Burton's what Burton's motivation is there? It's not what am I going to do with my leg? It's like, oh, you're putting your leg up on a rock. Well, two can play at that game, <laughs> freaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that Riker lean. He'll find a way to do it in any situation. Yeah. Whether or not there's a thing to put his foot up on, he will somehow do it. <laughs> what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 5, Gambit Part 2. Picard and Riker masquerade as mercenaries in order to retrieve a potentially lethal Vulcan artifact. Do you remember this episode, Adam, that you already watched, apparently? Yeah. I do, because I because I already uh, I already admitted to having seen it, Ben. <laughs> so I remember it as early as hours ago. What are you going to do about it? I mean, like I don't, I don't want to waste your time by dropping a veto on it. You watched it, like we might as well fucking review it at this point. Yeah, I mean that was that was poor form by me. It really puts you in a spot, doesn't it? We're like past 150 episodes at this point, Adam. You got to be more careful. There are rules here. Yeah, this is not Nam. Yeah, I'm sorry, Ben. I'm glad we could come to an understanding. Well, I'm not vetoing an episode I watched. That would be dumb. <laughs> It'd be hoisting yourself on your own Picard. Yeah. Are you? No. Fine, let's watch it. Okay. I've already seen it, so you go and watch it yourself. Okay, and we'll meet back here and we'll review it on the next okay. episode. 
It's what we do. It is. If you feel like reviewing our show yourself, you can take that 140-character review to Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm on there as at CutForTime. Ben is on there as at Benjamin R. A-H-R. We also accept five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you have four or fewer star reviews, uh, you can... You can send them to drunkshimoda at gmail.com and we will attempt to address your complaints. Um. Where we will (laughs) stick those complaints into a plastic butthole. (laughs) We've got people working around the clock scanning complaints to see if they are the artifact that we're looking for. (laughs) We should uh, thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for our other music. Got great Facebook groups, Reddit groups. Uh, there's a Wikipedia And great page. moderators for both. Yeah, great moderators all around. Um, that all being said, I think, uh, I think, I think our, our job is done here, is it not, Adam? Yeah, I feel extremely satisfied with what we've done here, Ben. <laughs> extremely, huh? <laughs> wow. I feel better about this episode than any other. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that really puts Picard's leather daddy prowess to the test. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.